Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Daniel Kahnemer and Dr. Jacinta Delhaize. Each episode will be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies. Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do and the fascinating discoveries we make. Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies. Welcome to today's episode. Jacinta, who do we have today? Today we're talking to Dr. Imogen Whittam and Lorato Sebacolodi, and we're going to be talking about something called radio galaxies and uh, supermassive black holes in the centres of galaxies and the crazy stuff going on around them uh, and one crazy galaxy in particular called Cygnus A. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this because I actually, um, part of my research is to do with radio galaxies. Yeah, it sounds super cool. I mean, supermassive black holes, th- that's got to be cool. Yeah, I mean, when is it not? <laughs> <laughs> so in our previous episodes, we've been talking about the solar system, near-Earth objects, things which maybe will crash into Earth. Uh, today, we're going to be zooming out quite substantially, going beyond our solar system, which is uh, the planets and asteroids and things are orbiting around our sun, uh, beyond our galaxy, which is the Milky Way, and constitutes all of the, the stars that we can see in the night sky. And we'll be zooming right out now to extragalactic space. Ooh, so. extragalactic space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, extragalactic astronomy concerns the other galaxies in our universe, of which we calculate that there are about two trillion, I think, at last calculation. Do we? we do indeed. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> I usually tell- <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm, I usually I'm just surprising <laughs> an extragalactic radio astronomy here yeah. with how many galaxies there really are. I usually tell people there's billions, but now there's trillions. Mm, I think at last count, mm. there were not just one trillion, but two trillion. Oh, wow. Okay. But uh, I mean, I, I guess this is uh, including a lot of dwarf galaxies, uh, which we now know are much more common than uh, in the past. So that's tiny galaxies, not not like our spiral Milky Way. uh, No, our spiral Milky Way is is a a pretty bang average uh, spiral (laughs) galaxy. Uh, So right in the middle of the spread, uh, there are smaller dwarf galaxies such as the Magellanic Clouds, which you may have seen if you've been fortunate enough to visit the Southern Hemisphere and somewhere very dark. Uh, So we now know that there are a lot of these dwarf galaxies around and in recent times, there's been a lot of talk about ultra-diffuse galaxies. Uh, What's an ultra-diffuse galaxy? It's a galaxy which is ultra-diffuse. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, so basically, it's a galaxy with a lot fewer stars than you would expect. They're not very tightly clumped, and they kind of spread out over, over space. It's still held together by dark matter, as most galaxies are, but the, the stars themselves are, are sort of spread very thinly and evenly. Uh, which makes them quite hard to detect. So these are the sorts of things which have contributed to the the increase in the the technical galaxy count. Um, okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah, but, and as Dan said, I I am a an extragalactic astronomer. <laughs> um, and yeah, we we do look at galaxies that are far far away, and. There's a lot of different types of galaxies. So as we were saying, the the Milky Way is like a spiral. So if you think of like a dinner plate or two dinner plates upside down and joined together, it's like a bulge in the center. And then there's these nice, beautiful spiral arms, like a cartwheel on the outside. And with, there's another one nearby us, there's Andromeda. 
I guess, is the nearest big spiral galaxy. Then there's a whole clump of other ones, like the the dwarf galaxies and the irregulars. Uh, But there's also a different kind of galaxy, and that's called a radio galaxy, or something called an active galactic nuclei. And that's what we're going to be talking about in more detail today, because most galaxies are, well, no, not most galaxies, but a lot of galaxies, like the Milky Way, are just kind of chilling out and forming stars, and so we just call them star-forming galaxies. Um, and that kind of what makes it safe for us to live in the Milky Way is that it's not doing anything crazy or emitting huge amounts of light or radiation uh, to wipe us out. But there are galaxies that are doing some crazy stuff, and we're going to talk a bit more about them today. So to help us uh, talk about that, we have in the studio with us Dr. Imogen Whittam. Welcome, Imogen. Hi. Hello. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) It's great to have you here, and I hear you uh, made an important contribution to our studio today. Yeah, I helped stick up this foam. (laughs) (laughs) Looking wonderful. (laughs) If I may say so. Yeah, this is the soundproofing in our studio, and it looks good. (laughs) (laughs) And sounds good. (laughs) Importantly. Yeah, there's a bit of a smell of glue in here at the moment. (laughs) It just adds to the ambience. That's right. (laughs) So Imogen, uh, introduce yourself to us, and where are you from, and where did you study? Uh, So I studied in Cambridge in the UK. I grew up in London originally, but I've been here in South Africa in Cape Town for nearly five years now. Um, So I'm based at the University of the Western Cape here in Cape Town. And uh, what have you been working on while you've been here? So I've been working on radio galaxies, which Jacinta talked about a little bit earlier. Um, So I'm particularly interested in these kind of crazy galaxies that are really powerful and emit huge amounts of radiation. Okay, so let's uh, let's dive in with that conversation. Why are these galaxies crazy? Why are they emitting radiation? What is going on here? Yeah, these are all really good questions. So essentially, all galaxies have a supermassive black hole at their center. So this is a black hole that's maybe 8 million times the mass of our sun. And in most galaxies, like, say, our Milky Way, it's just sitting there passively, not really doing anything, minding its own business. But in about maybe 10% of galaxies, a lot of gas and dust is busy falling into that central black hole. And that's a hugely energetic process. So when that happens, we have vast quantities of energy released. And that's what makes these galaxies kind of crazy and, in my opinion, pretty exciting. So, So then this is why we can then detect them in the radio? Yeah, absolutely. And not all of them are detected in the radio, right? No. So about 10% of galaxies are active, and about 10% of those are what we call radio loud, which means that they emit a lot of radio emission. So when we observe them with a radio telescope, we, we see them really brightly. So just to explain the, the, the process, perhaps, uh, we have a supermassive black hole at the center of these galaxies. Yes. When it consumes some gas around it, it emits in the radio. So black holes are black holes, which means that nothing can escape them. How, how is this, uh, this radio emission coming out? So the, the radio emission, well, the, the ma- not all the matter that's falling in actually makes it all the way into the black hole. This whole process is very turbulent and kind of crazy, as we've been saying. So you get these really powerful twisted magnetic fields, and they basically channel particles out from the black hole in these hugely powerful jets. So you get these twin jets pointing in opposite directions, kind of like beams coming out from the center of the black hole. And they produce, they're very powerful and they basically shoot out these, these particles at nearly the speed of light. 
so then these, these twisted magnetic fields in the, in these galaxies they're, they're pointing out jets uh, and then those those jets beam out into into outer space uh, presumably for us to see them are they pointing towards us these jets or so some of them are pointing towards us and some of them aren't and we see both and they look very different when we look at them so some of the galaxies we see the jet is pointing straight towards us and so these will just look like a really, really bright point source in space. And they may also be really variable because we're looking straight down this jet. This is what we call a quasar, right? Um, or a blazar, yeah. Quasar or a blazar, yeah. Okay. Whereas some of them, we're looking perpendicular to the jets. So we're looking in one direction and the two jets are pointing out at 90 degrees. And in that case, we see all of the structure of these lovely jets. So we get these really stunning images of these powerful jets shooting out into space. And then eventually the the particles are slowed down when they interact with maybe some old gas that was left over when the galaxy formed. And when that happens, you get these hotspots as as the particles are slowed down and you get these, these really stunning images. Can you describe for us what the hotspots look like? Yeah, so they sort of look like, I guess, these sort of fuzzy blobs maybe. Um, and often you, you see sort of backflow, so you might see the jet going out, this sort of fuzzy blob, and then maybe even some things sort of beginning to flow back in again towards the galaxy. Um, I'd like to point out how big these things are at this point. So they can be many thousands of times the size of the optical galaxy, so that they extend way beyond all of the stars that you'd get in the galaxy. Yeah, I was just going to ask, can you describe what what these things look like when when we look at them in a I don't know in an optical image like what we would see if we could see these galaxies with our eyes what do we see then and then what do we see if we were to look at them with radio eyes yeah this is a really important point so when we look at this any of these galaxies in the optical we basically just see the stars so we might see in some very rare cases a spiral galaxy like our milky way but more often we'd see an elliptical galaxy so basically a giant sort of rugby ball shaped fuzzy blob of stars and so a kind of normal galaxy but it's when we look in the radio that these galaxies look really exciting so in the radio we don't see any of the stars unless unless the galaxy is very close with the distant galaxies we don't see any of the stars all we see are these giant jets shooting out from the middle and then eventually ending up in these hot spots can we just uh, roll back to you guys oddly mentioned quasars and blazars? <laughs> <laughs> can, can we expand on that? <laughs> what is a quasar and what is a blazar? And, uh, and also we should define maybe like what is a radio galaxy and what is a AGN? Yeah. Uh, the, well. yeah, sorry, we just toss around all of these, these terms. But we do, don't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I don't think we even know what exactly we're talking about all the time. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> okay, so... Um, yeah, let's start at the beginning. So a radio galaxy, uh, as we mentioned earlier, is something that's emitting in the radio. Yeah, a radio galaxy is a galaxy that's emitting very brightly in the radio, particularly compared to its optical emission. So, so it's very okay. bright in the radio and not so bright in the optical. And then, as you said earlier, there are radio loud and radio quiet. So one's with more emission, one's with less. Emission. So something that's radio quiet, we wouldn't normally call a radio galaxy. So a radio galaxy is basically a radio loud active galactic nucleus. Okay. Definition. I like it. 
if we want to get technical, we okay, Jacinta's now disagreeing with me. <laughs> She's silently disagreeing. So is she disagreeing? <laughs> She's making faces at me. <laughs> well, because also a, ga- a starburst galaxy can be a radio galaxy by some definitions, it, where it's got more, much more radio light than the optical light, and that's because there's a burst of star formation happening and supernova explosions going off, and that's emitting a lot of radio waves. But that's not the sort of galaxies we're talking about today. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All yeah. Right. All right. <laughs> Things are always. So, more complicated than you initially think. <laughs> so, um, le- le- lesson um, to our listeners, never put two radio astronomers in the room together. <laughs> and ask them what a radio galaxy is. <laughs> okay. So, I think, I think the, to clarify, yeah. uh, the, the radio galaxies that Imogen's referring to are, are radio loud because they have supermassive black holes at the center, which are emitting uh, a lot of radio waves. Uh, what Jacinta is referring to is the star-forming galaxies or uh, some more quiet galaxy but it's still visible in the radio through another process this is not an agn which is our next definition right so i think yeah we'll leave Let's, the star forming for now because we're just going to confuse everybody yeah. let's just talk about agn so which are way cooler sure <laughs> <laughs> so image and tell us okay what is an agn okay so agn stands for active galactic nucleus and so this is when we've got the supermassive black hole at the center of the galaxy and in an AGN gas and dust falls into that supermassive black hole and emits a huge amount of radiation. So the point is that the radiation that we're seeing comes from this process of the supermassive black hole gobbling up stuff and then spewing out other stuff. And this is some of the most energetic processes that exist in the universe, right? Absolutely. Okay, I still haven't got a definition for quasar blazer. <laughs> okay. All right. Quasar Okay, so a quasar is basically a, a very bright AGN that's particularly bright in the optical. And part of the, the problem with these different definitions is they rely on different wavelengths and came up at different times. And some things were defined separately, say in the optical and then the radio, and then we later discovered actually they're the same thing. And so there's, that's the reason there's all these different names for different types of a galaxy. All right. And if you're confused, that's understandable. We're confused too. So you know? <laughs> In the entire field of <laughs> of AGN research, there are so many different definitions and so many different names for these things, as Imogen said, because uh, these things were discovered at different times in different wavelengths, and we weren't sure if they were the same things or different things. And so, you know, historically, it's it's kind of come together in a bit of a mishmash, and astronomers. A lot still kind of work mostly either in optical or in radio or in some other wavelength. And so there hasn't been a lot of communication between us in order to unify these things. And we're not 100% sure we can unify them yet. Uh, so this is all a big work in progress. So, you know, confusion is part of the of the process. I guess maybe, I guess maybe we should say that the, the name from Quasar kind of comes from quasi-stellar object. Because when you look at these things in the optical, they look like a star because they just look like a point source rather than being resolved like a nearby galaxy. And this is because they're so distant and because all of the emission we're seeing is coming from very close to that central supermassive black hole. So you don't see any emission from stars in the optical. You just see a really bright point of light coming from very close to that black hole. So that's kind of where the word quasar comes from. Quasi-stellar object. Mm-hmm. It's quasi-stellar radio. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, here Quasar. we go. <laughs> Blazars? So a blazer is basically when you're looking straight down an AGN jet. 
To the radio jet. To the radio jet. So you've got a radio jet and it's pointing straight towards you. So you just see a really bright radio point source that's often very variable. Okay. And that doesn't necessarily have to be very bright in the optical. No, it doesn't. Okay. And it took a while for people to realize what these things were. Oh, right. And a point source is? A point source is a source that's unresolved. So it just looks like a really small point. Just a little dot on our our, um, image. So kind of one or two pixels in an image. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've got through our definitions, I think, or some of. We made um, it. There will be more. I'm I'm sure we'll find more. Um, Okay. So we spoke about the the classification of these things and how they've been discovered. It reminds me of um, a sort of Linnaeus system in biology where you're trying to put things into families and, and then genetics comes along and rearranges everything i imagine that 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 is a constant process now um as our telescopes get better our technology gets better we are learning more about these radio galaxies and how they're uh, classified what they where they come from and how they're related yeah absolutely i mean we're learning more all the time and particularly when we get new instruments that allow us to make deeper surveys over larger areas we're seeing more and more of these objects which then allows us to learn more about them. Because I guess one of the problems with being an astronomer is that what we'd really like to do is do an experiment and get a galaxy, look at it from one side, then look at it from 90 degrees the other side and see what it looks like. But we obviously can't do that. We can't rotate galaxies no, in space. exactly. <laughs> and we can't just fly around the other side of the galaxy and see what it looks like from over there. What we've got to do is look at another galaxy that's pointed in a different direction that looks different and see, okay, maybe is that galaxy actually the same as this other galaxy, but just rotated through 90 degrees and try and piece together these bits of information. Why are we looking at these galaxies? Why are they important to study? I mean, they look really, really cool and they're really, really energetic, but, but what's the science behind this? So we think that they play a really important role in the evolution of galaxies. Because one of the things that we'd like to understand, and particularly me as an extragalactic astronomer and you as well, Jacinda, I imagine, we want to know how galaxies form and how they evolve with time. Okay, now when we say evolve with time, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about evolution like biology on the Earth. No, we're just talking about, so your, your galaxy is formed billions of years ago. Certain changes occur between billions of years ago and now. And we want to understand what those changes are what processes affect them, and how you end up with, say, how our Milky Way came to be the way it is here today. Okay, so we're trying to figure out how galaxies have changed over time, over the history of the universe. Yes, absolutely. And in the same way that you have only a single snapshot of a galaxy in space and from one angle, you only have a single snapshot in time. But there's another concept, isn't there? The, the The deeper you're looking into space, the further back you're looking in time, right? Well, absolutely. And that's why these new radio telescopes are so exciting and why it's so exciting for us to make deep images. Because absolutely, as you say, as we make deeper images, we see fainter objects, which tend to be further away. And say I'm looking at an object that's a billion light years away. That means it took the light that I'm seeing a billion years to travel from that galaxy to me. So I'm essentially looking back in time and seeing what that galaxy looked like a billion years ago. And so then I can be like, okay, great. And then I can find another galaxy that's 10 billion light years away, and I can see what that galaxy looks like. 
and that I'm obviously looking at what that galaxy looked like 10 billion years ago. So I'm looking at a much younger galaxy. And so I can com compare these galaxies that are 10 billion light years away, and then the ones that are 1 billion light year away, and then the ones that are really close to us. And that can tell us about how these galaxies are changing with time. And how are they changing with time? Yeah, so good question. So for starters, they are, they collide. So galaxies will collide together. Obviously, that is a catastrophic process. It hugely changes their shape and structure. We can also get much more minor mergers. We've got a big galaxy and maybe a little satellite galaxy crashes into it. And also, this is kind of where AGN come in because we are, so when we look at the moment, about 10% of galaxies have an AGN. So they've got matter falling into their black hole and this energetic process is happening. But as you said, we're only looking at one point in time. So what we don't know is do all galaxies go through this kind of active phase? We know they've all got a supermassive black hole, even our Milky Way, but only 10% are active now. But does flipping that around mean that maybe all galaxies are active for 10% of the time? And these are kind of unanswered questions. Can we find any evidence of past activity? Yeah, so we can, for example, we can see we can find sort of remnants of radio galaxies where you can see maybe the hot spots of an old galaxy, but it's not producing jets at the moment and it's not active now. But because these kind of remnant lobes are there, it must have been active in the past. The other thing that we can see are restarted radio galaxies. So we can get radio galaxies where we've got some, some very large, very old jets that are, that are a long way from the galaxy. And then much closer into the galaxy, we've got much smaller, much newer hotspots. And that means that it must have been active, produced these very old jets, stopped, and then restarted again and produced these much smaller, much newer jets. So the black hole's kind of switching on and off here. Exactly. So it's there's periods where there's gas and stuff falling into the black hole, and then it's not, yep. and it's falling in again. Exactly. So what causes stuff to fall into a black hole? Yeah, that's a really good question. What, what triggers these black holes to become active? And that's not really known. That's one of the things that we're, we're trying to understand. I mean, for example, it could be caused when you get a merger. So if you get two galaxies colliding, obviously a lot of stuff is going to be thrown around. And so you're going to end up with gas and dust getting into the path of the black hole. And so that may well trigger an AGN. Um, but we don't think all AGN are triggered by mergers. And yeah, these are open questions. What's the other way to be triggered? Well, I mean, presumably there's just going to be, it doesn't necessarily have to be from a merger. Uh, there's just, you know, there's gas and stars floating around in a, in, in a galaxy and occasionally they're going to pass a little close to the black hole. And, and then this in. whole process gets started. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and there's kind of like an, uh, a halo around the galaxy, like a like a whole a fuzzy ball, I guess, around a galaxy of hot ionized gas. And sometimes this can start to trickle into the center. I'm not really mm. entirely sure what the process is that makes that happen. Mm. But sometimes this can be called Bondi accretion. And you've got little trickles of this gas going in towards the center of the galaxy where the, the supermassive super black hole is. And this can sometimes start this... AGN activity. Absolutely. And actually, once this activity has started, you don't necessarily need vast quantities of gas to sustain it. So the, these kind of trickles of gas from this hot, hot, fuzzy halo can be enough to sustain this, the, these massive AGN jets once they're started. 
So once the magnetic field gets strong enough, it kind of channels more matter in? Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And we mm. think that's probably how it works. Mm. Obviously, magnetic fields are very complicated. So it's, it's kind of hard to, to know for sure. If we can like bring it home for a second, our Milky Way has a supermassive black hole. Correct. It is not active at the moment. Correct. If it were active, what what would that yeah, look like to us? I mean, us? I imagine it wouldn't be a huge amount of fun for us <laughs> because these are hugely energetic and hugely powerful processes. So I don't think any living things anywhere near are going to be very happy. Well, what actually happens in a galaxy when the supermassive black hole switches on and emits these big radio jets? So it obviously has a big impact on the galaxy. And for example, it can, it can reheat a lot of the gas and dust that's busy forming stars, basically stop stars forming in the galaxy. But then, so for, for us in the outer arms of a spiral galaxy, would we be affected by these jets or would they be uh, sort of out of the disk? Well, it, it would depend on the orientation of the jets. Jets normally are perpendicular to the disk, but they don't have to be. If the jet is perpendicular to the disk and we're sort of somewhere out in the disk as we are, then maybe we'd be fine. If the jet happens to be aligned with us, then we are not going to be fine. Well, we appear to have been fine for four and a half billion years, I suppose. So yeah, does absolutely. That, does that give you some sort of bounds on, on our galaxy's uh, supermassive black hole? Or is it just a, a sort of... It could have not been pointing in our direction when it was active. Well, we're also, our galaxy is a spiral galaxy, and it's actually very rare to find these kind of jets in spiral galaxies. Ah. So we wouldn't expect our galaxy to have had these jets or to produce them. Yeah, they're usually found in big elliptical galaxies, yeah, big, right? big elliptical galaxies, absolutely. I guess one of the reasons that we're interested in these galaxies, as we were saying, is the role that we think they play in the evolution of galaxies. Because when we say, make a, a simulation of galaxies forming, they basically end up forming their stars way too fast compared to what we observe. So we know that something must be slowing the rate at which galaxies form stars, but we don't know what that is. And in massive galaxies, kind of the main thing we think it probably is are these AGN. We think that this AGM processes are slowing the rate at which these massive galaxies can form stars. But despite the fact that actually this has been widely studied for several decades, we're still not really sure how this process works, what factors affect it, like what causes this kind of feedback effect of an AGN to be more efficient or less efficient. So this, these processes really aren't well understood. And it's key that if we're going to understand the history of how, say, our Milky Way formed and how any galaxies form. It's really key that we understand these processes and how they work. Yeah, so I guess it's, yeah, as you say, we think that this active galactic nucleus activity is extremely important in, Absolutely. in the entire evolution of galaxies and that we, we can't really understand the universe around us today if we don't understand exactly what's going on in these processes, right? Yeah, and at the moment, we don't fully understand it. We have some ideas, but, but there's a lot we still don't understand. So you were saying earlier that if we can get a deeper and a deeper image or data to study these galaxies that are further away, uh, maybe we'll get a better idea. What does it mean to have a deeper image and how are we going to do that? Yeah, so a, a deeper image means that we can see fainter things. And we achieved that 
either by observing for longer, so basically pointing our telescope at the same patch of sky for hours and hours and hours so that we can pick out the really, really faint things in that patch of sky. Or we can build a better telescope that's more sensitive. So when we look at that patch of sky, we, we see the fainter things. And we have a better telescope. And we have a better <laughs> telescope, handily, which is super exciting. Uh, so you, so we're obviously talking about Meerkat. Meerkat um, telescope, which mm -hmm. we, we spoke about that in a previous episode when we talked to Griffin Foster about yeah. SETI. But, but maybe Imogen, you can remind us a little bit about what Meerkat is and how it can be used for this kind of work. Yeah, so Meerkat's a telescope here in the Karoo. It consists of 64 dishes, which are 13 and a half meters across. And it's the most powerful radio telescope in the Southern Hemisphere. And it's, it's hugely exciting. It's going to be a precursor to the Square Kilometre Array. I don't know if you've talked about the Square Kilometre Array in a previous episode. Yeah, we discussed it a little bit. Okay, awesome. So yeah, so Meerkat is a precursor to the Square Kilometre Array. And it's just started taking data. And so far, the data looks amazing. So it's a really exciting time to be a radio astronomer, particularly here in South Africa. And in terms of your work and, and your studies on AGN? So the main project that I'm involved in is a survey with the Meerkat telescope called MITI. So astronomers really love acronyms. MITI stands for the Meerkat International Gigahertz Tiered Extragalactic Exploration. Oh, well done. Which is, <laughs> I can never remember that. Not in any way contrived or a mouthful and rolls off the tongue wonderfully. Well, you, you did superb. You nailed it. <laughs> but basically the point is we're going to use Meerkat. We're going to use thousands of hours of Meerkat time to observe four patches of the sky totaling 20 square degrees. And we're going to make these really, really deep images of these four patches of the sky so that we're going to be able to see really, really faint, very far away galaxies and AGN. How big is 20 square degrees? Uh, so 20 square degrees, well, the full moon... There it's are a square four, degree, it, isn't it? I thought it was... It's a quarter of a square degree. Oh, it's half. God. <laughs> cut, cut, cut. <laughs> um, we'll just move swiftly along. <laughs> so there are loads of things we hope to learn with Mighty. I'm really interested in the AGN. So with Mighty, because it's so deep, we're going to be able to detect AGN that are a really long way away. So maybe at least 10 billion light years away, we should be able to see these AGN, which, as we were saying earlier, these are going to be really young galaxies. So that, that's pretty exciting. Young um, meaning kind of existing early on in the history of the universe. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so these will be some of the first galaxies to have started forming and certainly some of the first AGN to have ever formed in our universe. And also, because we can see that such faint objects, we can also see objects that are less powerful. So as we've been talking about these AGN that produce these amazing, stunning, powerful jets, but actually some AGN produce much weaker, smaller jets. And they're still important, but because we haven't really been able to detect large numbers of them up until now, we don't know that much about them. And with MITEI, we're going to be able to see large numbers of these much less powerful radio galaxies. And that'll be pretty exciting. I wonder what we'll find. Who knows? <laughs> Great. Uh I mean, I think we should wrap it up there for today. Uh, We've covered a lot today. Oh, but I could talk about radio galaxies for hours. <laughs> but then we'd have to make more definitions. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you very much for joining us on the Cosmic Savannah. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Imogen. We hope to talk to you again another time. Awesome. Thank you. So for the record, we did Google how big the moon was, <laughs> and it, <laughs> it's half a degree in diameter and a fifth of a square degree in area. Yeah, I mean, we were, we were all right. And now we'll remember that forever. Yeah, we, we were all wrong. <laughs> we will remember that now. Now we're actually going to be talking about one particular radio source. What, what exactly is a radio source? Ah, sorry. Uh, so a source is not like tomato sauce. <laughs> It's a good joke. Laugh at my joke, Dan. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> uh, so, a source is like a source of light. Uh, like a light bulb is a source of light. The sun is a source of light. You can have sources of radio light and galaxies are sources of radio light. So, when we say a radio source, usually we mean a galaxy emitting radio light. Okay. And the one in particular that we're going to be talking about now is uh, Cygnus A. And this is one of the first radio galaxies to have ever been discovered. Uh, I believe it was discovered first back in 1939 by uh, someone called Grote Reber. But um, at the time, people didn't know what a radio galaxy is, so we didn't actually know what it was. But uh, this is this is a huge, huge radio galaxy. It's like the poster child of radio galaxies. It's got a galaxy in the centre, then these two narrow jets of light going out either side, and then these big plumes of um, hot spots of plasma at the ends. Um, and it it's one of the brightest um, radio galaxies in the sky, and that's because it's quite close by. It's uh, only 800 million light years from us, which in terms of the universe is basically next door. <laughs> um, and this is a particularly cool object because recently it's been proposed that there might actually be two supermassive black holes in the centre orbiting each other, um, causing some interesting behaviour in the in the jets. And, uh, and it also might be um, the host galaxy where the black hole or black holes are inside could have recently eaten a smaller galaxy that came close by near to it and that may be why there's two supermassive black holes in the center um one belonged to the little galaxy and one belonged to the original galaxy and now they've kind of merged together so have they actually merged or are they they're still orbiting each other this is actually this is not uh known we don't know that there's two black holes we don't know if they uh one galaxy ate another but there are signs that they this may have happened um and uh there's other cool stuff that you can look at with galaxies like cygnus a and that is um, the magnetic fields so we're all familiar with magnetism we all know what a, a magnet is um, but actually galaxies are kind of like huge magnets they have their own magnetic fields and we don't really understand why and we don't really understand what effect this has on the galaxy as a whole yeah so as we experienced uh, on with fridge magnets or magnets in, in day-to-day life when you have a a charged particle or something, uh, and you get a whole array of them lined up, then they generate a, a small magnetic field. Now, we know that there are ma- many, many charged particles floating around a galaxy in f- the form of gas, and when these uh, charges align, they can form very, very large and very, very strong magnetic fields sometimes. And how those affect the galaxy formation is really not very well understood at all. Uh, and in terms of things like the the Cygnus A jets, for example, it's not quite clear whether the jets are forming the magnetic fields or the magnetic fields are collimating the jets or sort of 
pushing the jets into into the uh, the further into space. Uh, but I mean, there, it's a fascinating area to be looking in. Yeah, and so someone who is looking at the magnetic fields of Cygnus A is uh, Lorato Sibacolodi, and I spoke to her recently. So let's uh, let's hear from Lorato. Great. Uh, with us here now is Lorato. Hello, Lorato. Hi. Can you tell us who you are? Okay, so my name is Lerato Sibokolodi, and I'm originally from Mafikeng. Uh, it's in the Northwest Province, and I'm currently a PhD student at um, Rhodes University in Kerhamstown here in South Africa. And uh, are you based in Rhodes? Not really. At the moment, I'm based in the U- United States in Socorro, doing my PhD there with some uh, research members. Wow, that's amazing. What's it like there? It's quite good, actually. It's very fantastic, you know, different environment, learning a lot. Yeah, it's just amazing. And what are you working on there? Okay, so I'm working on my PhD with them for some few years, and we're working on a a radio galaxy called Cygnus A, and we're really trying to understand it. What is Cygnus A? So Cygnus A, it's um, a radio galaxy. It's, It's a galaxy, but then it's a special type of a galaxy because it has a very active um, black hole at the center, which, are, which has things falling into it and some being expelled outside um, as a form of what we call jets. And what makes Cygnus A special? So what happened was at the beginning of um, the field of radio astronomy, so there were two sources that were detected. And at the time, um, at the time, it was thought that they are actually just bright radio sources because obviously we didn't have enough resolution to see what they were. They were wondering, like, what is this bright star like that shines in the radio? What is it? And um, later on, with better instruments, with better telescopes, they were able to see that, okay, no, actually, there's more to it. And um, so that's how Cygnus came about. And the very fact that we could detect it then, that's really something that has been driving um, the study in Cygnus So it's actually quite um, one of the well-observed radio sources just because of its brightness and the fact that it is actually very close to us. So it's just amazing. And it's known actually to be a very energetic source. So usually for me, I just call it a crazy sauce. <laughs> yeah. So so it's uh, it's very bright. You've said and and it looks very big to us, doesn't it? Yes, it looks big to us, and that's because it's very close to us. So as you can imagine, if it was further, then it would look very tiny. And and why are you looking at Cygnus A? What are you trying to learn about it? Uh, the reason why we study uh, Cygnus A is actually we could actually use any other source. But just because of the things that I've explained, that's the reason why we choose Cygnus A. But we chose it because we are interested in studying the manifolds within the cluster mediums. And there are several methods in which you can, uh, you can study manifold. But with Cygnus A, we use a method where we can see the influence of magnetifold. So we don't really measure it directly. We just infer it. We infer, we infer its, its influence on, on Cygnus A. So one of the things that happens 
what, what this cluster does to signal say, the magnetic field does to signal say, it's that it's actually uh, changing the the signal from signal say. So we can really look at the signal and then be able to use our beautiful techniques and then we can we can get we can be able to determine the magnetic fields. So that's why we use signal say. Wow, so just by sitting here on the earth we can we can find out about the magnetic fields in this in this um this huge, enormous, crazy galaxy. Yeah, thanks to the telescopes. <laughs> and which telescopes are you using to do this? Okay, so um I'm currently using the um, Jansky Very Large Array, which is based in New Mexico. And the reason is that at the moment uh it's actually a best a telescope for now until the SK of course and the Meerkat as well so yeah I'm looking forward to working with Meerkat yeah that's yeah. gonna be amazing isn't it do you have plans to work with Meerkat to study Cygnus A okay uh, I actually consider that but um, I have to be uh, the one thing that's really a problem it's that um it is in the northern uh, hemisphere so we can we can only see it for for like few, few, few minutes. So I don't know if it's worth investing to it, but I think it would be a nice thing to observe with a new telescope. Cause since it has been observed for all this time, like I think it's just, it'll just be good to test it. Right. So, so Cygnus A is in the Northern Hemisphere. Of course, we here in South Africa are in the Southern Hemisphere as long, along with the Meerkat telescope. So you're using the, the VLA, which is in the Northern Hemisphere to study Cygnus A and the magnetic fields. Why do we want to know about the magnetic fields? So the magnetic fields are very important because we find magnetic field in, in, in various things. The Earth, for instance, it has magnetic fields and we know how the importance of heavy magnetic field. The sun itself has magnetic field. We, when we go to la also larger, uh, larger astronomical, um, uh, objects, there we have magnetic field. Since we know what magnetic fields can do, that's why we want to, un to understand magnetic field in galaxies so that we can be able to know they are influencing all this in the system itself and we can understand the magnetic field and understand how the, our universe works. I've seen you give a presentation about your work where you used a toilet roll to explain <laughs> a, a roll of toilet paper to explain your work. What were you trying to explain? <laughs> okay, so I used the toilet paper because I, I had to look for something that's, that 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 looks like a cylinder, very close to what the, what um, the telescope um, would show, you know. So yeah. And the best thing was the toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew, obviously, you know, when you present, people want to see something they can relate to. <laughs> so, yeah. I thought it was very clever. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so what have you found in your data so far and, and what do you want to do in the future? Okay, so what I find right now is that there are amazing stuff out there. The manifolds, they are just amazing. Very complex very exciting and it's just amazing especially for my work because it's show it's showing some something something new not really new people thought about it then but now we have the data that that really shows support you know those previous studies so um in the future really um after because we are attending a conference i've seen very beautiful images of radio galaxies with the meerkat 
I'm definitely going to stew them. <laughs> I have to study them. It's just amazing. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to us. You sound very enthusiastic about your work and it's infectious. It makes us all excited. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Whoa. So, uh, yeah, supermassive black holes, jets. Magnetic, magnetic fields. fields of, uh, some crazy stuff going on in these galaxies. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's it's been a fascinating episode today talking about how the, the supermassive black holes uh, reside at the center of galaxies, how those are uh, emitting radiation when they feed. Uh, they emit these jets, uh, have large magnetic fields, uh, and all of this is now detectable with these radio telescopes, and we can start to understand how these incredibly violent and disruptive events are going, of sort of happening and uh, how they're affecting their galaxies and yeah, and the discoveries are coming quickly now because with Meerkat and these other telescopes that have switched online recently, um, you know, we're just it's just revealing a whole part of the universe that we had hardly seen before. Yeah, it does seem like the the pace of research is just picking up so <laughs> so rapidly. Yeah, exciting stuff happening. Mm, absolutely. And we'll we'll bring you all of the the discoveries as they happen. <laughs> and uh, that's it for today. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Cosmic Savannah. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and our website at thecosmicsavannah.com. That's Savannah, spelled S-A-V-A-N-N-A-H, where we'll have the links related to today's episode. Special thanks today to Dr. Imogen Whittam and Lorato Sebokolodi for speaking with us. Thanks to Mark Allnut for music production, Janis Brink for the astrophotography, and Lana Serai for graphic design used to create the podcast art. This episode was created with the support of the South African National Research Foundation and the South African Astronomical Observatory. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help us by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and leaving us a review. We'll speak to you next time on The Cosmic Savannah. Today we'll be joined by Dr. Imogen Witten. I like your blooper noise. <laughs> and so some of these galaxies that only have that. <laughs> You've got a good blooper got a good noise as well. I need a blooper noise. Oh.